Okay, if you'd like to draw your conversations to a close. Brilliant. Well, we are continuing our series in Philippians, Joy in All Things, the letter to Philippians written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And as we start, let me ask you one question. You can think for a moment and then I'll, I'll uh, get some responses. If, if you were to ask your six-year-old self, imagine being a six-year-old self when you're six years old, if you, ask, if you were to ask your six-year-old self, what do you want to be when you grow up, what would your answer be? Okay, think for a moment. Going back, thinking of your six-year-old self, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would the, Gordon, you ready? Okay, Gordon, what would you have said? Your six-year-old self? An engine driver. Very good. A steam engine. Excellent. Steam engine. Anyone else know what they would have answered? A nurse. Excellent. Very good. Anyone else? And a ballet dancer. Fantastic. It, it, it still might happen. You never know. Over here, we, do we have a hairdresser over here? Hairdresser. Doing hair, hair for ballet dancers. I mean, they could, we could still have a... Fantastic. Anyone from over this side? Anyone know? Joshua. Say again. A game ranger. Oh, a good murmur of uh, <laughs> across here. Um, well, if you'd asked me, um, what, when I was six years old, it, actually, it would have been a tie-up. There, there, I had two options. Both, I think, were equally viable. Um, the first one was a member of the A-team. <laughs> I don't know if, I, if there's one in particular I'd like to be in, but I think I probably would have seen myself as a fifth member of the A-team. Um, because I think you can imagine me as a six-year-old, I would have had what it takes to be cool and daring, and I would have slotted right into to the A-team. Um, the other one that I was weighing up, if you asked me when I was six-year-old, was I would have been Gary Lineker, um, England striker. Um, this was in, in, in 1986, uh, World Cup uh, finals in, in Mexico. It would have been a toss-up, hard-pressed between, between the two. Um, for you thinking about your six-year-old ambitions, what, what would you have, have done at that time? So if, you, if you'd seen me at that time, you'd notice that I was a, a member of the A-Team fan club, um, that I watched the A-Team every Saturday. And also, just to, to bring the right balance, I would have been playing football regularly um, and just kind of keeping an eye out for those England football scouts that are watching me playing in the park because you never know when they may be watching. Um, you'd have put posters up on your walls, um, you would be wanting to, to focus on either the A-Team or Gary Lineker or a steam driver, um, steam train driver. Um, whichever it, it would be, you'd be looking and think, I want to be just like them. That is your ambition. And you'll be learning from them. At that time, I, I thought it was only a matter of time until I was going to fulfill one of these two ambitions. So we're looking this morning at a letter by Paul, as we said, to the church in Philippi, a Roman colony in, in Macedonia. And last week, Matt was looking at joyful loss, how we had to consider everything else as rubbish compared with life with Jesus. This week, we're looking at, at joyful imitation. 
joyful imitation? How do we live with this vision for a future? What does following Jesus look like in the day-to-day? And we could be looking at not role models such as the A-team or Gary Lineker or, or anyone else. We're going to be looking at how we can be following Paul's example and ultimately pointing to Jesus so that we can live this life day by day. Because Christian life is not just about an initial decision. It's not just about one moment where we decide, yes, I want to follow Jesus. It's a tick in the box and that's it. Receiving Christ is a lifetime adventure. And Paul encourages us that this isn't something we need to find out all by ourselves. It's good to look to others. It's good to find out, oh, how are they doing it? And so how can I live out this life following Jesus? So in a moment, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3. Um, in the, the church Bibles, it's page 692, so you can be finding your way there if you haven't done already. Um, just a disclaimer at the beginning, throughout this, um, throughout this verse, there's a number of running examples. Paul speaks of pressing on towards the goal. Um, for me, it's not, although I did want to be Gary Lineker, it's not something I really have first-hand experience of. I wouldn't call myself... Um, a runner. Um, talk of imitation, I wouldn't imitate me in this. You'd be much better. Uh, Matthew's often preaching here. He, he and Grace are currently, I think at this very moment, running the uh, Barcelona Marathon. So in terms of running, um, you should be running a lot like them. Don't run like me. Um, but I like to think of myself as bringing balance to the, to the preaching platform. Um, because there, I know there are many, anyone who's, pa- who's passionate about running here and really enjoy running, A few, a few, I know that I know that you're, you're shy. You're shy about it, but I know there are many here who are passionate about running. Um, anyone here who's passionate about not running? <laughs> See, we're much more much more confident to assert our passion for not running than we are for running. Um, well, as Paul said, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, runner or non-runner. Um, all are one in Christ Jesus. Um, so I'm going to be using some runner examples because we'll be looking through this passage, but I myself, as a disclaimer, I'm not an avid runner. Um, if you want to learn more of that, Matt and Grace would be much better um, example to imitate. So Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enabled him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your generosity. 
<clears throat> we thank you that you've called us to follow after you and that there is nothing and no one better for us to give our lives to. And I pray this morning you'd help us to encourage each other. You'd help us to live out this life of adventure in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, as I said this morning, we are exploring joyful imitation. And in, in some ways we could think, <clears throat> is Paul a good person to imitate? He's saying, be like me, be in prison. But at the moment he is, he's writing from prison. Does, is that what Paul means, that we should all be uh, in prison for Jesus? Well, Paul is very clear on what is important, on when to make a stand, on how to live under adversity, and having clear confidence in the God who is sovereign. And as we shall see, it's, it's this that Paul is encouraging us to imitate. And this morning, we're going to be seeking to answer some important questions. What is, what is life about? What is our purpose? Are we just drifting with the current, with the flow of life? Or are we making clear decisions shaped by eternal realities? And so this morning, we're going to be exploring how we can be imitating Paul, learning from him, and learning from others around us. So the first thing that we want to look at this morning is we're to have a, a clear goal, a clear goal, a clear focus as we run. Paul has an eternal ambition. We saw that <coughs> in, the, in the first verses that we read in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And the this that Paul is talking about refers to the previous verse in verse 11 that we looked at last week. Um, it speaks of the resurrection from the dead. And the perfect, in this verse, in verse 12, is the completion that future resurrection will bring. So we can see that Paul is concerned with his eternal future. This is his ultimate ambition. Everything else pales into insignificance. Even if you are a, a TV star, like the A-Team, or a sports leg legend, like Gary Lineker, what significance will they have in 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years' time? Now, Paul is concerned with something much bigger. His hope is eternal, and it has everlasting significance, knowing that our current life and this current world is imperfect and it is finite. So Paul runs with purpose, like a runner pursuing a goal set before him. So imagine you're in Matt and Grace's shoes right now, a few hours into a marathon. What kind of things would, would you be thinking? Anyone who's, who's run a marathon? James, you've run a marathon. What we, a couple of hours in to a marathon, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, my mummy. <laughs> When's it going to be over? Exactly. So you, you'll be um, then thinking, as soon as I cross that finish line, I'll be done. You have that goal very clearly in mind when you are running for that length and that period of, of time. We are to have a similar focus, a similar determination as we run the Christian life. And this really sets the context for the rest of the passage, this clear goal, this determination of the future. And it's so important to have the, a clear and right picture of the future, what we're aiming for. Paul also references his secure start as well, the second half of verse 12. Um, it says, But I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is confident in his eternal hope because of God's great work. He has a, a clear goal, but this important foundation uh, is, is key as well. We can only follow Jesus. We can only run this race because Jesus lays hold of us. The truth is we were running away from him, but Jesus caught hold of us and has turned us around and, and directed us towards a different goal. So this morning you may be here and exploring, is, is God real? Is God good? Well, the wonderful truth is as we explore, God is also pursuing us, wanting us to know him. He's not dispassionate and aloof, uncaring. And we're to know that when we respond, when we turn to Jesus and say, yes, you are to be my Lord, we can know Christ Jesus has made us his own. For Christians here, there is joy in these words. It says here, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. <clears throat> There's joy because we are his treasured possession. There, there is joy over us. There's security in, this, in these words because nothing can snatch us from his hands. There's also a call to action in these words because he has made his unfailing love known and so therefore we're to go and tell others of this truth as well. On this verse, um, pastor and teacher John Piper says this, I don't coast, I don't drift. Christ is too precious for that. I press on, I strive, I reach, I long, I ache. I yearn to attain the fullness and perfection of the presence of Jesus. Why? Because I don't know if I am his. No, because he has already made me his own. I reach for him because I am held by him. I press into him because he has enclosed me with unbreakable bands of love. It's a wonderful truth, and this is to be our secure foundation, our secure start, knowing that we are known, loved <coughs> by God. Jesus has made us his own. And so we don't press on, we don't run in, in a way to try and earn God's favor, but we run as a result of God's favor to us. Earlier in the book of Philippians, in the letter in Philippians 2, Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. We're to run hard after Christ because Christ is at work in us. We are secure. Christ Jesus has made us his own. And this is the foundation from which we can live. God's role is that he has made us his own. And our role is for us to press on. We can't achieve perfection. We're to know that until Jesus comes again. But we press on towards it to become more like him. Not for our own status, not so that we look good, not so that we can look down on others. But this is a response of devotion. This is a response of joy. The theme throughout this letter, joy in all things. There is to be joy in knowing the living God. Not about legalism, trying to do right things to earn God's favor. It's not about license where it doesn't matter what we do because God loves us anyway. So we can go, we can please ourselves. It doesn't really matter God is looking for us to live in, in liberty, in freedom, in him. The focus here is always knowing Christ, prizing him, and pressing on for the long term. 
And again, I've said I don't know much about running, but I do know it's important for you to know what kind of race you are in. You're going to approach a 100-meter race very differently to a marathon. And so it's important for us to know that we are caught up in a long-distance race. Verse 13 and 14, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider (coughs) that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I I haven't made it yet. There's 30 years of, of Christian life and ministry and Paul doesn't yet he's the fini- think yet he's the finished article. His zeal hasn't dried up. He's still pressing on and pursuing Christ. And so in this way, we should be copying Paul, imitating him, still learning, still growing, still wanting to be more Christ-like. You may have been uh, a Christian here for five months, five years, 50 years. We are to still uh, keep on growing in him to have a sense of holy dissatisfaction. Again, not to earn God's favor, but living in response to the fact that Christ Jesus has made us his own. So his focus here is on one thing, on looking to Jesus. And so he forgets what's gone. He doesn't let either his successes or his failures define him. He strains, he he pushes forward. The point here. Paul is saying, it's not that we shouldn't look back, but we only look back for the sake of moving forward. We're not to live in denial, but speaking of what defines our vision. The the runner is pushing forward towards the finish line, not constantly thinking about what went before, constantly looking forward. Eyes fixed on Jesus, not looking over our shoulder. You know how difficult it is to, to, to walk even, let alone run while looking backwards. It's just, it's just not possible to do effectively. We need to be looking forward and not looking just forward, but upward as well. The upward call of God in Christ. It says in, in verse 14, our, our gaze to be directed towards heaven. God calls us to this as made possible by Jesus. We're called to Look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, knowing that there, in that day, will be no sin, no fear, no regrets. We're to experience some of it now, but to know this is going to be in part, that we're never g- not going to experience the fullness of uh, this life of, of no sin, no fear, no regrets until Jesus returns. But until then, as we saw earlier in our series, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let, him, let us focus on him. Let him fill our vision and know that the future is something that we are to look forward to. So Paul encourages us that we are to look to Christ, not to particular experiences or rituals. We look to following a person. We're looking to follow Jesus. He is to be our focus and our devotion. We're not to get distracted, verse 16 says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Not to look to the light, to the right or to the left, but focused clearly on this goal. So we, we see there's a clear goal for us. And then this is the, the sense where we're really looking at how we can imitate, how we can um, copy Paul and others. We're to be looking for right role mo- models. 
we can have this, this clear goal, but then we can be thinking, how, how do we get there? What do I do with the questions that I have? How does following Jesus at work on, on Monday morning work? How, how does that happen? What do I do when it feels like everything is on top of me and crowding in? How are we to live in this way? Well, Paul says, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is imitating Jesus. He says in elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so it's, it's wise for us to imitate those who are worthy of imitation. Because often we, we learn best by, by copying. If you wanted to learn a, a musical instrument, you can try and get loads of books. You can sit down and try, and try that on your own, which many of us have tried to do. But usually, it's a lot easier to go and say, can you teach me this? And they show you they're alongside. And like when you're trying to make your hands on the G chord, and you think, that's just not working. And they say, oh, try this. Try moving your finger. You can actually watch someone, and they can be alongside. Or if you're learning how to bake or cook, it's a lot easier to see what someone is doing and then copy them rather than seeing things written down or following or trying to work it out ourselves. So this may be fine for learning skills, but should we do this in shaping how we live and our characters? Can this be okay? Shouldn't we be thinking, actually, I'm my own person. God has made me in this way. I shouldn't be exactly like someone else. Well, the reality is there are very few originals. Everyone is copying someone else, either consciously or unconsciously. So let me show you a, a few pictures. Um, the people in this picture, what decade would you associate them with? 1970s. Very good. Um, any of you have nice flares like that still there? No? Excellent, 1970s. Okay, next one. <coughs> what decade would you associate that with? 1920s. Excellent. Um, and then lastly, what decade would you associate this with? 1980s. Exactly. Just three pictures, um, and you can very quickly identify the decade. 1970s, 1920s, 1980s. And in, in 1980... Um, no one sat down and said, right, here is a list of things that you are to wear. This is how you should have your hair. Um, these are the kind of clothes that you should wear. No one sat down and, and, and said, this is what you are to do. People were influenced, and we still are, in how they dress. Um, I'll take that on so you're not distracted by the, <coughs> the beautiful hair and dress sense of those in the 1980s. Uh, a number of people here are thinking, oh, yeah, I'd love to go back to that decade. Uh, so we're influenced by others and we're shaped by our culture. This is just what, what happens. and It's the same with our values. We're shaped by culture, parents, friends. But Paul is encouraging us to make a deliberate decision, not to dress like the 80s, which is good advice, um, but to make a deliberate decision to follow those worth following. So in this letter, he, he gives a few examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Early in chapter 2, verse 22, he says of Timothy, you know Timothy's proven worth, and Timothy is being sent to Philippi. Also, Epaphroditus, 
<clears throat> is also to be sent. Verse 25 of chapter 2 calls him uh, my brother, my fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister. And then in 2.29, Paul says, honor such men. And so Paul's encouraging, there's, there's Paul, there's a few others, imitate these kind of people. If someone has got things better sorted out than we have, it's wise to imitate them. To spend time with those of the next season on. I know that we found this particularly helpful just after we got married and just as we were getting into the season of parenting, to spend time with people in the next season on, to learn from them and see what they do so we can think, oh, that, 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 that helps, that's what works for them. For you, maybe you would love to know how to pray or how to be a student and walk as a Christian. It might be you want to know, how do I handle loss? It might be you want to know, how do I handle success? Well, find someone who's further on in these things and spend time with them. Observe them. I'm not recommending stalking them, but just be around them and learn what, what they do. We don't need to be clones, but we can learn from them. Ultimately, we're to know that they're not to replace Jesus, but rather be pointing to him. And it may be here, someone says, oh, can I spend a bit of time with you and, and learn how you do this? It's not humility to say, don't follow me, if we really have spent some time thinking, and in some areas we are worth following. And if someone is, knows things better than us, it's not arrogant. So, uh, sorry, if we know things better than someone else, say, we'll try it this way. So, have a think this week, who could we follow, who could we learn from? Uh, in fact, Rob's going to help us. Rob, can you go and get the, the magic flip chart? It's always exciting when a flip chart comes out, isn't it? <coughs> what, what I'd like us to do is to think, let's get it a bit practical, um, for us to think, what kind of people should we be following? What kind of characteristics will be help, helpful for us to imitate? So, um, for the moment, we're going to be thinking, maybe it might be helpful for you to think of some particular people in your mind that oh, they are a good person to, to imitate, to, to copy, and think of some of their characteristics. So maybe think of that, and we just make a, a list um, um, on the flip chart. Actually, um, oh. <laughs> let's see if there's anything else exciting. Okay, oh. here we go. Um, Make sure the answers aren't on there, that's fine. Um, I actually don't have the ministry of the flip chart. Um, and so if anyone has got neat handwriting that would like to come and assist, um, you are welcome to. James, you're a teacher. You must have the ministry of the flip chart. Do you have the ministry of the flip chart? Great. Okay, that's fine. Um, so if you can put a line down the middle of the page, that'd be great. So we did this exercise um, in a training context I was in um, a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's really helpful. So down the left-hand side, um, a few characteristics of people we should imitate. What kind of characteristics do we think will be um, in people we should imitate? Hospitality. Make it be hospitable. That'd be good. Yep, hospitable. Dependable. Brilliant. Yep. 
Forgiving. Excellent. Say and yet. Compassionate. Kind. Excellent. We've got kind and hardworking. Let's have a, a few more. Great. Patient. Humble. Oh, there we go. Patient. Yeah. Trustworthy. And we had humble in there as well. Brilliant. And positive. That fills up the page nicely. Okay. In the right-hand side, I'd like us to think of what, what things that catch us of people we shouldn't follow. So imagine someone we shouldn't follow. What are their characteristics? Selfish? Arrogant, yep. Double R. G A A N T, yep. Um, aggressive, I think we had. Manipulative, yep. <laughs> um, this is why I generally go, I, I have messy writing, so people can never tell if I've. Okay, you never write negative things, yeah. <laughs> and let's give a, a, a few more. Um, anything else of characters we shouldn't imitate? Deceitful and gossip. Brilliant. Yeah. And gossip we have. Worldly. Greedy. We have a couple more. Yes, Sharon. Unforgiving, yep. Okay, last one. Cruel. Brilliant. Let's give James a round of applause. Thank you. So, a few characteristics. Hopefully they're, they're helpful. And as we were looking at this um, the other week, uh, we looked at what, who would typify the person in the left-hand column. Just think, what is there a particular person who would typify the left-hand column? And as you look down those things, hospitality, dependable, forgiving, compassionate, kind, hardworking, um, patient, trustworthy, humble, positive, we go on and on. Um, and this, like, we really did go for the, the Sunday school answer, um, which is Jesus. Jesus is the one that fully typifies that in the, in the left-hand side. Um, he's, the, he's the one that fully um, encapsulates all of those things. Um, and then the right-hand side, again, doing this similar exercise, selfish, arrogant, aggressive, manipulative, deceitful, gossip, worldly, greedy, unforgiving, cruel. Who would typify, typify that? And Well, someone, someone said Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> but really, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, that we think, actually, this is, this is us. This is us, really, at, at our heart. We, we are heart. We are selfish. We are arrogant. We are aggressive, manipulative, deceitful. We, we can try and, and put a, a cover on it, but in our heart, we know that we are more like in the right-hand column than the left-hand column. And the amazing truth is that the person in the left-hand column died for the one in the right-hand column. 
The person in the right-hand column doesn't stand a chance of being like a person in the left-hand column on their own. We do need to admit our need for help and live in this truth that the one who encapsulates all these things, the one who lived a perfect life, gave his life for us. We're to live in this truth and to know that in Christ, we are in the left-hand column. In Christ, uh, he has taken all the punishment is taken, everything that we deserve, and so that we can stand before God in the left-hand column, not in the right-hand column as we deserve. And so we can live daily in Christ. We can live in community and take others to Jesus. So we're to know that by rights, we should be in the right-hand column, but by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we are counted in the left-hand column. So having said that, and said that expectation that actually no one that we choose to imitate other than Jesus will be perfect. We choose to, to take those positives and to learn from them. And then just finally what we're going to look at before we, we break bread together is that we are to, to know who we are. To know we have a secure identity. Verse 20 and 21 says that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So as we are to live this life of, of imitation, of, of learning from others, we are to have this, this big picture of, of who we are. Paul writing to the Philippians, they are citizens of a Roman colony. And this brought them significant benefits in the Roman Empire in terms of status, favor, protection in law. But much, much, much more importantly for the church is that they are citizens of heaven. A community together, God's people. Not individuals, but God's people together with the same cause. This kingdom has come to earth through Jesus. And we experience it in part as we await its full consummation. And our waiting is meant to be eager. It's meant to be joyful. We live in a time which is both now and not yet. We can experience some of God's kingdom now and his rule, but we are to wait a day when it will come in full. And Paul here uses the term Savior in verse 20. Um, and in Roman culture, this would have been used of, of emperors. But Paul here is asserting that Jesus is the only true Savior. Paul is being provocative He's asking them, are they going to be defined by their Roman citizenship or by their heavenly citizenship? The question is for us as well. Are we too distracted by earthly things as we await our Savior? Are we too comfortable to desire this resurrection? Are we pressing on like Paul with passion and urgency? Or are we complacent, distracted, or caught up with cares of this world? And for me, I find that a, a real challenge. Am I complacent? Am I distracted by this world? Or do I have this yearning, as Paul is encouraging us to? We are waiting transformation to be more like him. We have an, a joyful future to look forward. And this needs to shape our vision as we are running, as we are running alongside others. We're to know that we don't ultimately belong on this earth, but in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not about a, a territorial jurisdiction or the bounds of human authority, authority, 
God's kingdom, God's nation is about God himself ruling his people. It's a place where God is honored above all. It's a place where his purpose and plans are followed. It's a place where we all belong. Whatever age, intellect, skills, race is a place where we belong to God. If you want to enter the, the UK and become a UK citizen, you need to answer a number of questions. You need to do a citizenship test. But there's only one question on God's citizenship test. Do you repent of your sins, all the things that are in the, the right-hand column there, and place your full trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, declaring him as Lord of your life? Because being part of God's people is not about things that we, we do. It's about what has been done by Jesus Christ. And when we put our trust in him, we are to live as who we are, not who we, who we were, not looking back. We're to live in the freedom of who we are now in this new identity. So, as we come to a close this morning, Paul is saying, I've changed my ambitions. Now I'm Jesus-centered. Will you, will you join me? For those who may be exploring today, don't run from Jesus. Because all other hopes are, are ultimately hollow. For those who, of us here this morning who, who are believers following Jesus, are we imitating the right people? And for all of us, we need to be thinking, what is, is life about? Are we just drifting with the current or making clear decisions shaped by eternal realities? We're to press on and fulfill the purpose for which, which Christ has laid hold of us. Um, just finally, you may have seen this week a uh, picture of, of this car park. Does anyone know the significance of this car park? Exactly. You, this car park is only accessible by foot. Um, you can't get there by car. Um, in, this is in, in Farnborough. Um, this car park has been unused for five years. Um, 80 spaces on top of a gym. Um, and it was intended to relieve parking pressure in the town centre. But a planned bridge, apparently, that would have provided vehicle access was never built after construction of a second building with a vehicle ramp installed. Um, the developer admitted there's no timescale for the bridge's completion. A car park with no access for cars. The purpose is not met. For us, it's a clear analogy can be, can be made. Life for us as a church, without people being saved, without there being transformation in people's lives, is lacking our purpose. Our purpose is clear and it's vital to lay hold of. The, this is why we're seeking to grow as a church. This is why we've bought another building, we're, why we're reaching out across Paul and Bournemouth. We want people come to know this life-saving, life-transforming life encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And so we're partnering together, we're learning from each other in joyful imitation, but all the while pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the source of our security. He's a source of our hope. He has taken hold of us and turned our lives around and given us something to live for. We are his. And um, in a moment, we're going to break bread together in communion. Um, Rob, I wonder if you can remove the flip chart so um, we won't have any flip chart related catastrophes. That'd be brilliant. Thanks, Rob. Um, so we're going to be celebrating communion together. 
we're going to be come to this uh, place of remembering Jesus' body broken for us and Jesus' blood shed for us. And this gives us confidence as we seek to press on that Jesus is with us always, that he has given everything that we, we need, that he has made us his own. There's also the sense of community together of how we can spur one another on, how we can learn from each other and be open in this and coming together and celebrating Jesus. I wonder, can we stand together? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life for us. We thank you that you have made us your own. And where we deserve to be far from you as we live in that that right-hand column as we saw. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us so that we can be made right with you. And so now as we approach taking bread and wine, we pray that you would be bringing this truth alive to us afresh, that we would have fresh resolve to follow after you, that we would be seeking to help one another, that we're seeking to learn from others and draw along others as well. Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you for this saving work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's break bread together. We have.